0: Hey Kyle, Tyler Garwood here from Kodiak, Alaska, sitting on a bluff overlooking the ocean, listening to the birds chirp in the forest behind me, enjoying some sun. I'll be here as a Kodiak Bear tour guide for the summer.
1: Just wanted to say thanks for keeping me company on the road trip up here and keep up the awesome podcasts. I enjoy listening to every one.
0: What's up, everybody? I hope you're all having a wonderful day. That was a message from one of our listeners. Thank you for sending that in, Tyler. If you want to send me a piece of audio, I would love to play it. Uh, Just try and keep it under a minute. Let me know who you are, where you're listening from, something you're excited about these days, a bit of wisdom that you want to drop on the audience. And you can email it to info at kyle.surf i had someone send in a piece of audio recently um, and they talked about a beach cleanup that they were organizing in la and apparently they got a few extra people to show up so i like that kind of stuff you can email the audio to info at kyle.surf I recently released an article on the inertia that I wrote. Uh, I write a monthly column for them. This one was about spearfishing. You can head over to my website, kyle.surf/blog to check out the article. I will also read it on the podcast in an upcoming episode. Um, Thank you to everyone who donates to this podcast on Patreon. This is an ad-free show, and I rely on people like you to keep these episodes coming at you every single week. Um, It is very enticing for me to take ad dollars, but I'm holding strong and I'm keeping this listener supported. So if you can donate even just a few bucks a month, um, you can um, go to Kyle.Surf and donate on Patreon. You can also click the link below this podcast where I say buy me a cup of coffee. Um, And yeah, if you can't donate, don't stress on it, but if you can... Uh, it really helps keep the show going. So, thank you. I've also linked to a few other episodes below this podcast that I think you might like if you dig this one. Um, one is with a marine and photojournalist named Don Mira. That's one of our favorite episodes ever, as well as one with a Nat Geo photographer. So, you can check those ones out after this one. My guest today is Dave Nelly Nelson. Nelly is a globally published veteran surf and skate photographer with countless magazine covers and spreads to his name. After spending years as a senior photographer at Transworld Surf magazine, Dave now shoots freelance for domestic and international publications. Major action sports brands such as Vans, O'Neill, Fox, and Reef commonly contract Dave to shoot on location for trips locally and abroad. As one of the best action water photographers in the world, he's usually in the right place at the right time to produce the goods. Dave's personal relationships and mutual respect with some of the most elite athletes in the world give him access to the best action at the best spots. Um, I've known Nelly since I was eight or nine years old. He's one of the coolest dudes I know. Very well-liked around Santa Cruz um, and really revolutionized um, a kind of surf photography. Uh, that the up-close flash fisheye photography um it it, you you know a nelly shot when you see it um and i just love the dude so without further ado please welcome my guest dave nelly nelson Yeah yeah, Sri Lanka is cool Because for a long time They were uh, at war The Tamil Tigers And the government Were at war And it was a pretty dangerous Place to go Uh, So there there were Like bombs going off In Colombo Their capital But um, Once that subsided um, Tourists started coming again But it wasn't enough Tourists To make the locals um, Kind of over you Being there yeah. Like they're they're grateful that you're there, and they're really friendly people. Everyone drives around in these little three wheeled cars called tuk tuks. <laughs> yep. And they have good right hand point breaks. Yeah. Like down in Argonne Bay, super fun, Way, waves, kind of like the Hook. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was one of the the most fun trips of my life. Yeah, there's like there showed trips. me
1: some Bay. <clears> yeah. <coughs> it's got like a perfect left too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? There's lefts there? And yeah. she's like, oh yeah. There's like there's a bunch of secret spots there that are
0: just like untouched. And if you went there not looking Looking only to score. Like if you brought fishes and a couple longboards, you would have the best trip of your life. Because it's it's a little fickle. It doesn't get to be like massive very often, but just perfect rippable setups. So we went and surfed this spot called uh Elephant Rock. And Russo and I went I went there with like a six mile hike along this beach, and then you camp at the base of this massive rock and I went surfing, I was the only person there, and I looked in, and there was a family of elephants <laughs> no walking way. on the beach.
1: That is too good. So
0: like, you know, the, you, there are the trips that you go on where you score the best waves, and then there are the trips that you go on where you have the cultural experience that you're yeah. gonna see for the rest of, you're gonna remember for the rest of
1: your life. No, that's what I want, I really wanna go there, cause some of the stuff and stories she's told me has just been like, beyond belief, mm-hmm. and she's just like, you have to come. Yeah, while I'm here, because she's actually doing this, and um, she is doing clean water acts in different countries. Huh? And she started in Vietnam and um, Laos, and now she they moved her to to Sri Lanka for the next part of her journey.
0: Okay, basically. so is it a single organization that yeah. she's working in? Yeah, that's so cool. She
1: graduated from UCSB with. Who is some, this? My niece. Oh wow! Yeah, Rad. my sister's daughter.
0: Yeah, clean water, man. That's such an important one that, like, as Westerners, we don't really think about. But, yeah, man, shit gets real, real quick when you don't have clean water. That's coffee is gnarly, by
1: the way. Is it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> jet, fuel. Man, I like
0: jet it. fuel. I like yeah, it. Jet fuel. Yeah, I went from being like a two cup a week kind of guy, like, oh, I really, you know, want to be careful with my coffee, to. Uh Gradually Becoming more and more addicted to it Because of my girlfriend She's like a full on (laughs) coffee drinker Like two to three cups every morning Like it's you know Like when we make the coffee It's kind of like a sludge It's so black and thick And uh yeah, I've become a full addict now. It's... <laughs> but you know what? I'm kind of getting off of it because um, my buddy Shane... Do you know who Shane Heath is? He's a, um, he's a local Santa Cruz guy. He's, he's an artist. He, he does all these awesome uh, paintings. He was buddies with... He um, used to be a
1: skater. He a skater, right?
0: Um, he's part of the whole surf, skate kind of world, but a like real creative guy. And he yeah. started this company called Mudwater um, that's like a chai mushroom tea blend. And uh, so it's got like chaga and... And Reishi and cacao. And um it's not super caffeinated, but it's this like amazing spiced blend. And I'll give you some before I leave. Um that's helping me restrict Wean my coffee. Yeah. So now I'm like, all right, one a day and then I'm gonna
1: do a mud water and then <laughs> I, I think that gradually I can rein it in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um dude so wait surfing for change when are you gonna bring that back dude i was i was back in that tour so hard
0: that was a good tour yeah you, you did yeah you were uh, you made some uh, cameo appearances in the gmo documentary in hawaii oh yeah yeah that was that was a really fun one um well i really liked doing the surfing for change series which for people who don't know was a um, series where i would go to surf destinations around the world and cover environmental issues um because we, as surfers, get to go to a lot of rad spots that there isn't a lot of journalism happening um, because we're searching for waves, and there, I think there are a lot of
1: untold stories. Um, so that was kind of the. Didn't input. you go down to South America with Greg Long? Did you do that one or the uh, the one about the left point down there where there? The like- ba- was that the banking one. Well, that was like the the early one was on the... the I remember the, the banking the, the, yeah, one, but no, this was a different plant. one. This was for a surf spot that was going to get ruined. Mm, no, I,
0: I wasn't. I don't think I was a part of that one, but I've oh, gone yeah. down to Chile so many times, and that place is just rich with stories. Yeah. Rich with stories. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, the thing that I like so much about podcasting, which I've kind of shifted to, is that there's a lot more... Um, Information that can be derived out of a, an interview, and yeah. it's just so accessible for people. Like I, I felt like with Surfing for Change, it was it was fun because it would take me to these amazing spots, but I kind of knew the story that I wanted to get before I went there. Yeah, and uh, I feel like podcasting is um, you can know, get it, it's stories. helping. Yeah, and it's just helping me become a, a deeper thinker. Like I, you know, with the surfing for change stuff, like you kind of need to be the authority on the subject. Like I made that documentary in Hawaii about GMOs and then released it and then learned a bunch of new stuff about the issue that I would have included in it. So it's kind of like, ah, okay, shit. (laughs) Well, like that felt incomplete, but it's good to be like constantly learning. But I, I guess the, the people in the podcasting world, the people I get to sit down with constantly, um, so often show me that I'm have been mistaken,
1: Yeah, I really like that feeling. That's what's rad about life, is if you're not afraid to be wrong or admit that you're wrong, Right. then it takes all the fear out of living, you it, know what I mean, and you can always be learning and growing.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about your life and your career and the amount of surfers who you've had a chance to work with Yeah. over a many, many year period, like, you've kind of had a chance to be this fly on the wall. In the surf world in a way that very few people do because like as a pro surfer it's inherently uh, self-centered you're like yeah. it's kind of like me 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 check me out let's get all the shots I want to get exposure whereas a photographer you're incentivized to notice which surfers you think are gonna have potential and kind of make bets on certain surfers so you're looking not only at their skill in the moment but also at their mindset moving forward. Yeah. And you're constantly checking
1: out your, or checking yourself, um, on not just picking, you know, guaranteed guys, but actually like having a soul and going, well, I I like shooting these groms because they're rad and they have good energy. And I also like, you know, shooting my friends because they're my friends. And then, trying to make a business out of it is a really strange thing you know what i mean like where you're trying to trying to keep yourself happy keep your friends happy make your magazine happy make the companies happy and it's a it's a pretty it's,
0: it's a lot strenuous. of manage.
1: yeah it's a lot of people to manage but i think a yeah. good example of that is that like i grew
0: up shooting with you being yeah. like you know the local pro like a local pro like very much like barely on the map in I mean like how do I put it like you were cool enough to shoot with me and then go shoot with a guy like John John Florence yeah right whereas like all I think a lot of photographers kind of like
1: they pick their guy and then they're on that and they especially jump. these days right you know I mean these days it seems like um guys just latch on to one guy mm-hmm. and kind of follow them around and in my era, it wasn't like that as much, at least not for me. I was more like shoot as many guys as you can get as many photos out, out there as you can get as many of my friends here in town published as you can. And then, you know, see what happens after that. Yeah.
0: What would you say um, draws you to shoot certain guys? Because you, you also have like a background in skate culture as well like it seems like a lot of the the guys who you've become friends with and, and have developed relationships are not only surfers but have that kind of surf skate background
1: yeah um i don't know i mean that was kind of more than one question it but, was uh, sorry <laughs> um i've always liked aerial surfing yeah and uh that stems from aerial skateboarding you know what i mean and so i was always intrigued watching Kristen fletcher and Ratboy boy and You know everyone around here pretty much not everyone around here but most guys around here punted airs you know what i mean except for maybe adam repogle or you know who's also one of my favorite surfers but um i grew up skateboarding and watching guys and seeing the guys who really clicked huge airs like really clacked their tail off the coping and all that stuff like that came around in the surf world and that was something that I wanted to capture and it's really fun to capture too you know what I mean I shot a lot of water shots and most of it was fisheye and airs look really good fisheye photos you know and a fisheye cutback doesn't look like anything hmm. it looks like you're digging rail <laughs> really <laughs> yeah and so I got attached to you know shooting sequences of guys doing airs and all that stuff and it was really intriguing to me and and it worked too. I was seeing that it worked and it was like, well, all the magazines around the world are eating this stuff up. I'm just going to, you know, it's not broken. Why fix it? Just, right. just Keep going. Right.
0: What else? It also kind of lent itself to your strengths as a good surfer yourself. Like, you know how to swim. Not all, not all photographers can do what you do or, and also have the knowledge to get themselves so close to a surfer. That you're, like you're putting a lot of trust in these guys yeah. that they're not gonna nail you in the face with sometimes the nose too to the much trust.
1: Right. <laughs> I think uh Austin is uh wins the award for how many times he's skimmed by my face with his <laughs> fins. Austin Smithford. Yeah. Yeah. Um I've had a few definitely I remember Tanner Gadaskis like chopped his fin into my in into my finger while I was holding my housing and oh. like smashed my finger oh. into E D and that was a uh, I remember screaming like, yeah. like blood curdling pain. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely remember all the times people have landed on me and and all the close calls I've had. There's yeah, been quite a few. What advice would you give to a younger photographer shooting fisheye airs? Uh, from the water. From the water. Um, wear a helmet would be a good call. Even though I never did, I probably should have. Um, I was just I don't know. I would now probably if I was back shooting a lot of airs again. Um, what else? Uh,
0: there's kind of like a, I would say there's like a knowledge that you have of like where
1: the oh, air is going yeah. to happen. There's like a triangle effect. You know, you sit in a triangle between the surfers and you let them come to you. Hmm. And so it gives you more time to see what they're going to do, where the spray is going to be and stuff like that. If you sit at the right distance and let them come to you, they can do as many gyrations as they want and then punt. And if you know where to be, kind of you, you end up getting a shot without a bunch of spray all over your lens and stuff like that. So I would say that would be the first thing is let them come to you rather than you go to them. Yeah.
0: How did you um, have the idea to, to start doing remote flashes?
1: Uh, and with different gels, and that was a really exciting time. That was that was fun. I went down for a meeting with Steve Sherman and Tom Carey down in the trans world business. Um, meeting in Oceanside, and uh, and we were looking through slides and checking out the flash stuff, and we were talking about it and um, talking about using like these uh, different types of slaves, and both of us were onto it at the same time, me and Tom. And so, he went one way to Newport Beach, and I went up here with it. And I think that you know, most of Tom's Cuffs stuff, early stuff, came out of like Costa Rica and other places because Newport Beach doesn't—it's not the easiest place to shoot remote flash. Whereas here, we had a a ton of studios. You know, what I mean, between Santa Maria's and the harbor and and the, that was there of the Murph Bar. Right. What do you mean? By, very, what do you mean by studios? Uh, I mean, like a wave that breaks in the similar place. And, you know, I was working a lot with Corey Hansen, and he was willing to take one for the team every time. So he stood in the impact zone with the remote flash every time and just got the wave on the head. And he got really good at it, you know, being in the right place. And um, because if he's not in the right place, the flash doesn't go off or he's underwater or, you know, on and on. There's so many issues you can have with that. So anyway, we had a lot of spots here that were really easy to do it. And in Newport Beach, it's kind of a closeout. It's kind of a you know, you have to, you can't really stand up out there like we could at the Murph Bar and and other places that we shoot around here. And uh it was very it was kind of easier. Right.
0: What, and what kind of a photo does it create for people who, who can't picture it in their minds right now? It's to kind of like a, remote f- a flash.
1: I mean, that's why I called it a studio, because when you have a flash coming from behind and then one off the top of your camera, it creates like 3D lighting. And so it lights the subject up from two different sides and you get these crazy shadows and like really, really sharp photos because you got so much light hitting the subject at the same time so i used this ultra slave it was called that was actually a light generated slave and so when my flash popped it popped every time you know what i mean where it wasn't it actually wasn't a radio slave which is what tom was using so i don't know it was just an exciting era
0: yeah were you um looking at uh skate photos That we're doing that already? Is that where you got some of that inspiration from? Yeah, I used
1: to watch TR do a lot of skate photography with slaves and stuff, but...
0: Tony Roberts, who is
1: yeah really influential uh, photographer and and videographer in surf, skate, Santa Cruz history. Definitely my biggest influence. It wasn't just from... It was even before I was a photographer. I was already influenced by him, but watching him and his techniques and... Anyway, uh when we started putting gels on it it started even a bigger effect of like when you put a red gel on it you'd get red like it looked like red wine in the water like smeared across the wave and and the whitewash would turn purple and you never know what you're gonna get you know because it's like you don't shoot it over and over and so every single photo was different you know so sometimes it would look purple sometimes it would look red sometimes it would be purple on his hair. You know what I mean? Like, we just get so many different effects and it was just so exciting to see because he never knew we were shooting film back then too. So he had to wait to get the photos back. Right.
0: Right. Now I remember, um, like one of the first skate shots I ever had was by you. Uh, you took a shot of me on our my half pipe. Yeah, I was doing a I was doing an air, and then you brought over the slide, like over to me like a week later. Like, yeah, tear dog, check this out, man. Like, this is you. And I remember like looking at it through light, like holy shit. Oh, that yeah. was before the days when you could
1: just get it emailed oh, over but, to you. And you were such a teeny grom too. I remember your brother Toby's like, dude, we got a ramp and it's right down the street. It's on thirtieth and this and that. And then I got down there. And it was in this valley, it was so sick, really wide half pipe. I was like, are you kidding me? How long has this been here right down the street from my house? Yeah. I was just like, this is nirvana.
0: Yeah, six feet, 28 feet wide <laughs> with a seven foot extension. I uh-huh. spent the majority of my childhood on that half pipe and met most of my best friends that I still have to this day yeah. on that ramp. Yeah. Just going back and forth, back and forth, That's back insane. and forth.
1: I was tripping, dude, because I... I had no idea that you were that, that good at skating, you know what I mean? And I was like, holy, like what?" <laughs> He's doing huge stale fishes. And like I had, i anyway, I was blown away. Well, we
0: had, you know, the, the special thing about that ramp too, is we had this coping that <laughs> had been, uh, used as underwater piping for years. So it had this kind of rust on it. Yeah. So it had the perfect amount of slide. Like you could grind it, but it had this like, <clears throat> Yeah, like not full pool coping. So you could still skate across the whole thing, like do a grind across the whole thing. But like, I remember grit. that, s- that yeah. sound, like that sound is one of those ones that brings back such feelings of nostalgia for me. Yeah. And unfortunately we got rid of that ramp a few years ago, but I kept the coping with the plan that one day I will build a new ramp and we will have that coping. Awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that would be crazy. Cause that was what, 20 years ago yeah how long ago was it oh
0: well I was tw- I'm 28 and I was probably eight or nine years old yeah. when I met you and that was when I was getting really into skating um, and that was when like the heyday came around and my big brother toby he built that ramp when he was 16 years old How's, what's
1: toby is he still working for vice or what's he
0: uh, no he was uh, he so my brother's a, a filmer he's shooting for yeah for vice and cnn he's got a, a production company here in santa cruz called Lensfire films oh cool and uh i'm doing some work for him now actually doing some producing and it's great he's nice. he's a super talented shooter and yeah. uh I feel like, you know, you're asking me about the Surfing for Change series and, and all that stuff. Like, it, being able to have the advantages that I had growing up with Toby as my big brother and, and my dad also, who's a, a filmer, um, was just, it was insane, you know? Like, you learn, oh, if you want to get good audio, you got to get close to the subject. I mean, here's how you can tell a story and not have it be completely shitty. Yeah. Um, You know, kind of like if, if some if you took someone under your wing and just showed them a few basic things about how to take a good photo. It all it automatically get gets them to a level where at least they can do it and it's it's watchable. Yeah. Yeah. Um so dude, I need to ask you about the wave pool because wave pool you just crazy. got you just got back from there. Yeah. Will you describe it to me? I haven't seen it. I was watching the contest. I'm sure a lot of people have as well, but
1: what, what was there that we weren't seeing? Oh man, the place is so weird. It's, It's, uh, it's like a football field or, I mean, three football field. I don't even know. It's huge. Yeah. Right. I guess it used to be a water ski park maybe from the story I heard. And, um, You just, it's just too weird to be driving down into the central valley and it's just getting hotter and hotter. And you're like, I kind of like forgot where we were going at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're definitely going away from the ocean. Yeah. Um, so we got out there to Lemoore and, uh, we were on some weird inland highway. It goes like, you're you're going like 20 miles inland from highway (laughs) five to put it into perspective. And we come to this town and I'm like, wow, people live here like this. There's kind of a huge town out there, like full, like houses everywhere. And like, I was just like, "Whoa, this is strange. And um, and all of a sudden we were at the wave pool, but we were we were going by. I was with Luke Rockhold and we were going to check into our hotel. And I was like looking at it as we were driving by. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like a full on. I mean, there is it's a full full-on scene, you know what I mean? There's, like, huge parking lots and, like, billboards and this and that, and, you know, a huge sign that says Surf Ranch with, like, a beautiful brand-new fence all the way around the whole thing, all, like, place is killer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, we we you know, we got—we went back to the hotel, or we went to the hotel, and then we went back to the Surf Ranch. And uh, when you walk in, it's just, like— okay I want to see one and we walked in it was on break so there was no waves and it just looks like this big flat lake all the way across and I was just dying to see one and then when it finally cranked up I was just like oh my god the thing was just grinding it's like crazy I'm surprised that it took someone so long to make a wave like this you know but the right hander is just it looks like bar on its best day or you know snapper on its best day it's just grinding and eating itself and it even spits <laughs> the dude <laughs> spits dude it's so
0: <laughs> sick what yeah oh man yeah i was looking at the timer when they're when the guys are getting barrel in the first section guys are getting 10 second barrels yeah yeah i mean people are just gonna get so good at surfing
1: yeah, I'll tell you one thing, though. It just made me want to surf it. I was just dying. Yeah. And plus, it's hot. So you're just they, yeah. they, they have a, thank God they have a big lagoon next to it that you can go jump in the water. Oh, that's cool. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it just looked like the funnest thing in the world. And um, I think soon they're going to make enough of them where it's not going to cost a million dollars, you know what I mean, to go to go surf one. So right it, now, it's like ridiculous. It's like 50 grand a day or something. You have to rent what? the pool out. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so like big companies will do it, like yeah. like
0: the Netflix executives rented the surf ranch for exactly. the guy. That kind of thing. I think
1: that's what's going on right now, but um, <laughs> you
0: know, that was your first time there. That was my first time there. Well, wow. were there were any
1: surfers uh, impressing you the most? Michelle Perez was really uh, comboing up with some like long, long barrels to where you're like, oh, he got eaten up in there. And then all of a sudden he came out and just threw the monster hack, you know? Julian Wilson did the best airs of anyone that I saw. Uh, it was cool. At the end, they started like avoiding the last barrel section and just using the speed and just doing huge lofting airs. Yeah, massive alley-oops. That one
0: that, that Philippe Toledo did, like I watched like six times last night. Yeah.
1: Time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just think like, you know, as surfers and like you and I both surf and skate like the big issue with surfing is that you can't try your maneuver enough yeah like you if you want to learn how to do an air reverse you're gonna get maybe like four or five chances to try it every session maybe yeah, yeah. or as skating you could try uh, try it over and over and over again and the feeling that I get from skating that I never got from surfing was trying to learn a new trick all day long yeah. and just I'm going to hang out here and try it again and again and again. And, you know, on the 52nd try, you finally learn a nose pick or a 360 air or something like that. And the feeling of that and having all your friends around you, like clacking their tails on yeah. the coping. like Yeah, is something that's so um, I was just so inclusive and so also like good. I think mentally to like just try, try, try again until you you finally stick it. Whereas I feel like surfing, you just, uh, it's difficult to go out surfing with that mindset. It Some, feels
1: like a big risk to be risking a wave when you finally get a wave and it's a good one. It feels like a big risk to be trying something new, you know, when you could just actually do a huge roundhouse and smash it off the white water and maybe get barreled or whatever. It feels right. like a big risk to go off the first section and try to do a nose pick. Right.
0: Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, so where do you think this is going to go? You think that it's, they're going to spread out and surfers are going to be way, way better in the next generation?
1: Yeah, at some point. I mean, right now, there's only a wave every four minutes and it goes one right and then four minutes later, one left. And so, like, I was talking to Kelly and he's like, yeah, you know what? He's like, I only got two practice waves himself, you know, the Hmm. day before or two days before, he only got two. And then he got two more practice waves the next day. And each guy gets two. So it's not like they get to go over and over and over. So all that stuff that you're seeing, Julian Wilson doing those huge slob bears that was, those were his first attempts. Wow. You know what I mean? That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't see that on, in the viewing experience cause that would just be boring. That would be waiting around. It's like yeah. kind of like dead air.
1: Yeah. Hmm. They had a, you know, I mean, it was, it was exciting to watch just because it was so, it's in the infancy stages. And you know, everyone was uh, choosing whether they were getting a really long barrel or do more hacks. You yeah. know,
0: yeah. I mean, I obviously don't have any specialized information on it, so my predictions are as good as any. But one thing that I do like seeing is guys like Slater, guys like Alby Lair, people who are pushing the sport to be so enthusiastic about something because. Surfers are a, a curmudgeon group and yeah. it's so yeah. easy to just get grumpy and it's just like, I feel, it's, feel like it's a part of our culture. There's just like a kind of inherent grumpiness. Oh,
1: unfortunately, to, huh? unfortunately. But not. to see yeah.
0: guys like that who are like, I am excited about the future of our sport means something.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. Definitely. That um, expression session with Albie and Archie, <laughs> it was like, how sick is that, dude? Archie, the biggest legend just... And then Albie Lair, just one of the best and most futuristic air guys in the world yeah. doing it at the same time. Have you gone on a lot of trips with Albie? Uh, no, I haven't actually, but I have so much respect for that guy. He came up here once to do a shoot for XL Wetsuits and hung out for four days or something like that. Um, but no, I haven't done a lot of trips with Albie. He's an interesting cat
0: I've had him on the podcast twice yeah. He's a really thoughtful dude Yeah, Very smart and also someone who is kind of like a I feel like his career has been a slow burn Like he wasn't the phenom when he was 11, 12 years old Like just now he's getting all this recognition that he deserves yeah. So like kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier About how you've had the chance to like See certain surfers grow yeah. over their time Like like John, John, for example, I know that you've done a lot of trips with him. Like you've, you've had a chance to see him from this little itty bitty kid to the best surfer in the world
1: now. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that was definitely, um, a gift that I, I met him and he was six years old at shipwrecks in Cabo. And I was there with Bruce and Ozzy Wright and Randy Bonds. And, um, I see this little white-haired kid running up the point. I'm like, how sick is that kid? You know what I mean? I had no idea who he was yet. And Bruce was like, oh, that's John John. And, like, he ended up, like, turning around and running back to us. He's all, what's up? And, like, started talking to us. And just that was my first um, experience with him. And I got to watch him surf, like, four-foot shipwrecks. And he was just ripping. And he was tiny. This was before Ivan was even born and uh from that point on i got to travel with him until he was maybe what 16 17 years old and see his progression and watch his yeah you know it's crazy
0: what do you what do you think he did differently than other guys you saw
1: uh he did his own thing you know he didn't care like it was pretty rad to see actually because he'd be like supposed to be at a photo shoot, but he'd instead he'd be outside riding a three wheeler down to the skate park. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not that you're not supposed to be responsible or stuff, but I mean, he was a kid, you know, right? 13 year old kid. And they're like, you have to be here and you have to be there. And he's like, nah. I'm going to be a kid. Yeah, I'm going to be a kid. And, um, you know, I don't even think he does social media. I think someone else is doing it for him. That's my guess. <laughs> because from what I see, it doesn't sound like John to me. So I'm certainly I like...
0: not obsessed with it in the way that you see a lot of guys who are yeah. like posting every single day. to it like that? That says something about people's mindset. It, uh, it does. Um, that's really cool. I think that, um, like, one of the saddest things that I've seen with. Young pro surfers growing up is when they get robbed Of their childhood Yeah. and when there's So much pressure put on them at a young age that They can't just be kids and play yeah And for him to I don't know him But to, uh, he has a very playful um, Approach to surfing It's very creative and he's, he's Kept that creativity with Him and I think that pro- I would bet that he had a lot of pressure at certain Points to like surf a certain way or do Certain things but like he He like his He was more important to Like his integrity Was more important to himself Than anything else It seemed definitely, like Definitely You know definitely. Where he's like No I'm just gonna stay creative This is gonna be my style And now that's his greatest asset
1: Yeah He definitely grew up With his brothers And They didn't You know I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here But Yeah you can. They didn't give a shit Yeah You know what I mean And it was the raddest thing ever All three of them were. They were unique In their own way They stuck together And they had each other's backs And um you know they loved skating as much as surfing and so they always had this you know know how much skating helps your surfing it's crazy it makes your legs stronger it gets you it teaches you how to gyrate and get more speed out of a corner or whatever you're doing and and they had the cholo bowl right up the street from their house and they go sesh that thing so hard and you know and their mom pushed them and let them do what they want also you know and and they well, all turned out good. What was the Chola uh, Bowl like? Chola Bowl was the sick pool up on the mountain behind. Um, on the North Shore. Yeah, behind pipeline, way up on the mountain, and uh, there was actually a mini ramp. Well, when it was first, when I first went up there and skated, it was just a mini ramp and a pool, and uh, hot as and humid and mosquitoes everywhere, but place was sick. And there was huge sessions up there every year, like Hasoy and Grasso and Omar Hassan. All the boys would come up and there'd just be huge sessions. And then, you know, John John and his family, his mom skates, his brothers skate. So it was, you know, an era for sure. Yeah. Like a, it was like an eight or 10 year era where we'd go skate that thing and and shoot photos and
0: how do you... No. So if you're hanging with, with someone like John John like, you have an ability to be around a lot of these A-grade pro surfers and have them want to be around you. And, you I mean, you might not even be aware of it, but, like, there is something that you have that has allowed you to kind of, like, get in with these people and be, like, do kind of, like, pure journalism with them or, like, you get these really intimate shots of guys who normally can be more cagey and, and reserved.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean... I just got lucky, you know. Um I was just really into surfing and skating and and photography at the same time and um you know uh, it's hard yeah. to know exactly what happened, you know. I mean, I got also got really lucky in the way that uh I came into photography or professional photography at a, at a, during an era where there was like almost no one shooting photos here. Hmm. Patrick Trevs was here, but he was shooting for Surfer. And TR had just moved to Costa Rica. Chris Klopp had moved away. Ron Edwards moved away. So there was, like, all these... There was, like... It went from, you know, this stacked era of photographers where everyone was really careful not to step on each other's toes around here. And and they all moved away. And Bob Barber was still here, but he was starting to get into shooting longboarding more. and, And so... I just got lucky. (laughs) I had Really lucky timing, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, um, I still remember like one of the most fun trips that I took with you. We went down to beach break in Mexico with Kalani David. Yeah. We brought our boards and we brought our skateboards. It was, I remember it was so rad doing it with you because you have so much appreciation for skating. Like we would go, we shoot in the morning first thing until like 10 AM and then it would blow out. And then we'd go into town and you'd like find little ledges for us to skate and there was a little like <clears throat> cement half pipe in town that had this big crease in the middle of it. Yeah. So you could fully <laughs> lock your wheels when you get to the bottom of it. You like go up, try big air, come down with all of your momentum just
1: Oh yeah. Mid transition hang ups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then we went and skated that weird half pipe. Was that at Conley's house? Yeah. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah he was... had his little three foot half pipe out there. Uh, that was actually we actually crushed it that trip. Yeah, remember it wasn't it wasn't like big, but we got so many photos out of that trip. Yeah, it
0: was gnarly. Well, it was cool too to I mean, for me to be able to hang out with Conley uh, David because yeah. he's just such a talented skater. Like there are a lot of surfers, like I feel like I'm a I'm a decent skater for a surfer. And yeah. then there's, like, real skaters like Kalani David Where he can do, like, 540s And, yeah. like, place in professional skating competitions Which is just, like, man When you see the vo- the speed and velocity That someone like that carries down a ramp It's something special to yeah, see Yeah,
1: and just all the different, like, he's, he's a freak As far as all the different grabs he does And just for, I don't know He's just, he's one of my favorites for sure
0: Yeah, yeah yeah i was um it's funny like growing up and we had a lot of good skaters coming up in santa cruz like like raven tershie do you ever uh shoot with him at all yeah
1: occasionally but he's one of my favorite skaters yeah i actually did a a couple photos with him in hawaii this last year he was skating barefoot in the park and he was just annihilating him and grayson just they're just going crazy with no shoes Yeah, I was like, "Is this the new thing? Like, no shoes? Are you joking?" He was doing huge backside bonelesses and like stale fishes off that extension, like I don't even know, four or five feet out. I was like, "Dude, (laughs) are you kidding me?" Yeah, yeah. Protect those ankles, bro. (laughs) Like somehow. Well, you learn how to fall. Like when you
0: get that good at skating, it's kind of it's kind of a paradox because if you don't skate that much, you're not going to be that good at falling. And you have a way higher risk of injury Yeah. and if you skate a lot you learn how to fall more so like you're doing it more so inherently you're engaging in a risky activity but you also learn how to roll out of things Yeah. like I've had crazy situations where I'm like drunk on someone's handlebars at night and they like hit a crack and we go flying and somehow I'm able to roll out of it and like stand up and be like oh <laughs> <laughs> thank you skateboarding for that one uh, yeah but hey i mean I've, I've very much slowed down quite a bit as uh i snapped my arm three times yeah and that's uh, i've i just like surfing too much
1: i definitely learned how to roll out of shit and uh you know run out of tricks and stuff like that but barefoot you know i mean this this i i don't know i mean i'm not doing five foot stale fishes off a three foot extension With pool coping on it, you know what I mean? Like I was just baffled. Even though I've seen it for years, Lee Ralph used to rip barefoot, you know, pools and I still was blown away. Yeah. Just you know, especially since, you know, when you're talking about Grayson and Raven, that is their that's their living. Right. You know, in a big way too. Those are two of the best skaters in the world now.
0: Yeah. Do you um like what advice do you give to, like, aspiring, like, to pro surfers and pro skaters? Because you and I both know, like we were saying before the podcast, like, it's a disposable industry. Like, you can vary, there, it, there's a ton of glory in it while you're in the spotlight. Yeah. And then it's really easy for that to fade away and no, for, like, I think a lot of... um I just that there's a, there's a lot of dark stains in it. You yeah, know, my
1: advice would be do it if you're passionate about it right. and stay passionate. And as soon as that passion goes away, find something else that you're passionate about because, mm. you know, you don't want to be skateboarding for just money and not having fun at it. You know, you can, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, sometimes money ruins it for surfers and skaters, you know, and it, and it jades you into like, how much can I make? How much is that company willing to pay me? How much, you know what I mean? And it's like, when you're a kid, it's just how much fun is it? Right. How fast can I go? And you know, how many, uh, coping blocks grind can I do? And you're competing with yourself and it's not about money. And then when, you know, when money comes into it, obviously the world revolves on money. So it's, it's a confusing thing, you know, Yeah. but uh, as long as you're passionate about it, stick with it, you know, and just love it for everything it is.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that there is a magic in enthusiasm. Like if you can bring enthusiasm to anything that you do, like, as you say, like, if you lose, if you lose it in surfing and skating, like, what are you enthusiastic about Yeah. then? And yep. like, hopefully money will come from it, but man, life's short. Life's too short to not be doing
1: things that you're not enthusiastic about. Yeah. It's all about having passions in life. And you know, if one changes awesome, as long as you still got one. Right. You now, what was someone told me the other day that they, they asked this old man, <clears throat> he was 102 years old. they how'd you do it? He's all, you only need three things. You need someone to love someone who loves you. And Something to look forward to every day. That's all you need.
0: Hmm. You feel like you have that? that?
1: I do. Yeah? Yep.
0: What are you looking forward to these days? Everything. Yeah?
1: Yeah, I wake up psyched every morning, whether it's uh, a round of golf or some early morning photos or hanging out with my daughter and my wife, going on a trip, Um, seeing what emails are there. I love it you know, see what, what kind of opportunities are out there for me. Huh. Um, you know, the newest job, the newest, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like the, I, I get psyched, you know, that's cool, man. It's, it's inspiring to hear that. I mean, I think that it's so,
0: um, like being, getting jaded is such a kind of seductive and corrosive mindset to have Yeah, because all of a sudden it's the world against you and like the word, the world owes you something and it just, and no one wants to be around that, you know? Mm. So it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy, whereas enthusiasm is also a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, oh, I'm psyched. People want a piece of that. So they want to be around you and yeah. it
1: propels you forward. It's so true. And there's nothing, like you said, co- more corrosive than someone who thinks the world owes them something. Right. I can't stand being around people like that.
0: Huh? Why? That why is, is just, that?
1: because you can feel it coming off of them you know they think that either you know i mean some of my worst experiences with it were people that thought they deserved more photos to be published and it was my fault or you owe me nelly you know i mean and shit like that like there's a few people i won't mention any names but that were just corrosive and it was like every time i saw them It was like, Oh, you did this for Scribner. or You did this for this guy and you you got them a cover. Why didn't I ever get a cover? And this and that was like, dude, I'm not the editor of the magazine, bro. And then, you know, I tried to help you in every way I could. And, uh,
0: yeah, well, it also shows their it shows what they're thinking about, you know. Yeah, like like you, uh, you wrote down uh, like I asked you to write down maybe like a qu- couple topics that we could head into, and you're like, oh, well, there's surfing, but we could also talk about like environmental issues, which I'm passionate about, and like golf, and like your world is bigger than just surfing, and yeah. I think that that's that's really important for people like you need to be outside of just your circle to see how silly your circle is like I don't care what your circle is whether or not you're a pro surfer or a NASA scientist like we're all humans on this strange experience we're all gonna die and we're doing our little things that we're into right now whether that's like trying to get a rocket to Mars or getting a photo for a new mag like Hell yeah. Good on you. You're enthusiastic about it. And there's a world outside of you. There's a big world outside of you and everyone's doing their best. So give them the benefit of the doubt and, and just, just have that in your mind.
1: Yeah. I love that. I looked, I looked back over that list after I sent it to you. And like, I think the most important one that was on there to me was gratitude. And, uh, you know, like you said, people get jaded and I get jaded. Everyone gets jaded. And every once in a while, I'll write a, down a gratitude list. Things I'm grateful for, you know what I mean? And it, it's usually 10, 10 things I'll write down. And it's like, oh, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my daughter. I'm grateful for her health. I'm grateful for the, the fact that I live down the street from the ocean. You know, how lucky is that? And, you know, anyway, just to, just to keep myself, you know, clear that, you got a lot of, you, you know, you, you got a lot be, Focus yeah, on what exactly. you focus be on grateful. what
0: you yeah, focus on what you have, not what you don't. Yeah. There's a lot of science behind that, too. Like if you um, if you think about your thought patterns as uh, rivers and like every time you have that thought, there's more water going grooving into that yeah. river. Yeah. And if you have a thought of. Oh, the world owes me something. Fuck that guy. That's a water going down a certain river. And soon and sooner or later, that little stream becomes the Mississippi River. Yeah. And that's all that you can see. Conversely, if you're if you're practicing gratitude, I mean, it's like it sounds cliche to say and I fucking hate hippies. So I don't like to say practice, <laughs> ha- practice gratitude. But
1: <laughs> yeah, see, I don't mind it. And uh, but it's good. I, right. I don't you're... like people that make excuses for their issues. You know, what I mean, it's like everyone has their own, you have your own path and, and, uh, yeah, it ain't the cop's fault that you got a 502. Right. <laughs> it's your fault. Right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and groove the right rivers
0: so that it becomes a habit. You yeah. Know? Like I, I always recommend this book, uh, that I read a while back called the power of habit. And it's all about how most of the things that you're doing throughout your day are habits. So like if you wake up in the morning and you put your left shoe on before your right shoe, that's your habit. You're not really thinking about it. The way that you pull out of your driveway and get to work every morning, you're not really thinking about like you ever get to work and you're like, "Whoa, how did I just get there? Yeah. Right. That's because it's so ingrained in your mind to do something a certain way that you don't need to think about that. So you can, you can put your mental power towards another part. Right. Yeah. So if you are focusing on good habits, all of a sudden it makes it easy to do a good decision similarly, if you're trying to break a bad habit, it's way more effective to replace the bad habit with a good habit.
1: And that's why it's so refreshing to get out of your habits too. You know what I mean? Like every time there's been certain times this year, even where it was like, uh, I ended up going so up to Tahoe or something. And I was like, Oh God, that's a long drive. And it's not, and then you get up there and you're like, wow, this place is amazing. And like, it's refreshing, right? It's like you get this whole new experience, and like, or whatever. Yeah, you know, that's just an example. But
0: totally, the way that I think about it is like, it's like, um, if you do something new, like I, I just told you, I just got back from Burning Man. Yeah, there's no cell phones for a week. You're in a wild upside down world <laughs> where you are biking along these streets. Oh, what is this? All right. Oh, I can go to stand up comedy so right are these, here. Are
1: these fake streets or real streets? So it's or? real
0: streets. So so the way that Burning Man is set up is like it's a it's a whole town essentially. And the whole town revolves around it, it's shaped in the form of a clock when the the man that they burn at the end is the center of this clock. So if you can picture it, it's like 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Yeah. And then and then um Perpendicular, there are all these streets, so it's like A, B, C, D, E. So you can find your way around this town by being like, oh, I'm at, I'm at three o'clock, or I'm at, I'm at you know six o'clock and D, and that's how you can find like, okay, so there's stand-up comedy at six o'clock and D. So you can you're biking around all wow. these streets, and the only cars that there are are these art cars, which are these amazing art projects that people are driving around, and then there's stationary art as well. But you, you so quickly immerse yourself in a different culture where there's there's zero judgment it's like dude if you want to go walk around naked go walk around naked like you're gonna nobody will care nobody will care i mean you'll get weirder (laughs) looks for walking around in a regular t-shirt and shorts or a button-up shirt than you will walking around butt naked or in a tutu (laughs) or something right so it completely flips everything that's normal in your world Upside upside down Um, and you get to do whatever you want because burning man's so big that you can never possibly check out every single art project or every single show or edit. you know i mean you can go in and pop into a little makeshift jazz club if you want and then you can go over to a huge sound camp and hear Str- Skrillex playing just whoa 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 and then you can <laughs> head out to this art project where people are meditating and you know there's the temple which is one of the most beautiful places of burning man where everyone is silent Wow. And it's this place for grieving. It's a really intense energy in there. Like people write down, um, you know, messages to loved ones that they've lost, people who have gotten over heroin addictions. And they, they write it at the end of Burning Man, the the night after they burn the man, they burn the temple, and it's silent. Wow. For 20 minutes, this thing burns down, and everyone turns off their lights, and it's just you know, 60,000 people out in the desert dead silent wow that
1: is crazy
0: it's powerful but the point that i was going to make is that when when i come back from burning man and i turn my phone on it feels a bit like i'm moving into a new space like i can choose with what furniture i want to bring back into that new space like you know if you ever you move into a new house and you're like you don't want to fill it up too quickly you want to be like hmm all right what do i really want to put in the living room here, okay. Yeah. Like I really like this coffee table. I don't need that anymore. And, I, and similarly, I think that like psychologically, whether it is that you're going to Tahoe or Burning Man or just getting out of your comfort zone, you get to come back into your life. And if you're careful about it, you can you can only move the things back in that you, that truly give you joy. You can declutter yourself.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, it's a classic example of that. So you know Homer Heenard, right? Of course. So I'd go over to his house and I'd be like, dude, he's got a lot of For people
0: like, who don't know, Homer Heenard's is a, a pro surfer from Santa Cruz, one yeah. of the most classic out there characters who can frequently be seen out uh, surfing with his dog
1: yeah. uh, <laughs> on any given day at Pleasure Point. <laughs> at Skylar, the surfing dog. Yeah. Anyways, he, he's a collector, right? He likes t- old classic shit you know i mean whether it's skate decks or old surfboards or even just surfboard fins or old photos or old you know and he's got so much sick stuff but there's too much so i was like dude you might want to like clean up your living room a little bit right and so i go over there one day recently and he had just done he refinished his hardwood floor right all the stuff's gone everything And he's doing exactly what you're talking about where he's like, wow, I don't know what I want to bring back in here. So right now I'm just going to keep it empty and there's a couch and the floor and a lamp and that's it. And it's like, it couldn't be more polar opposite of how it used to be, but he's got all this rad stuff that he wants to hang, but he's being really careful about what he brings back into his life to clutter it. You know what I mean? It's the same thing when you go like, say you go wakeboarding and you're out there all day on the boat and I come back in and I'm like, Ooh, do I even want to turn my phone back on? <laughs> Cause it's just going to, it's, ring, ring, yeah. ring, ring. and it's, it's invasive. Yeah, I can't stand it personally. I'm anti cell phone, but at the same time I need it for my business. And I don't really like that. Uh, I don't,
0: I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, dude, I've done that. It helps me a lot. Cause I'm, I also get overwhelmed really easily uh, with digital, like social media and cell phones is I probably from 60, 80% of the day, I keep my phone on airplane mode. No. Like if I'm working on something, the phone is in airplane mode in a drawer out of sight. Awesome. Cause then I can just focus on my <laughs> <Jealous>. one task. <laughs> I and love then, that. and then if I need, if it's a day where I need, I'm waiting for a callback from someone or like that, I keep it, I'll keep it on, but Unless it's from a person who I really like I'm getting that call back from I won't answer because I have shit to do And I want to get things done And it's so hard to get any I would rather have a day where I get Two things done well Than like 20 things barely done Yeah. And um Instagram I just uninstall it from my phone When I'm not using it So that I don't have the um Little like ooh I just want to pick it up and And do it you know where there's just the 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 habit of, like, open the phone, you're on Instagram. You're like, whoa, how'd I get there? How I, how have I been here for the last 20 minutes? So I uninstall it, and then when I want to look at it, I will reinstall it, check it out for five minutes, uninstall it again. Oh, wow. I'm fucking... That's extreme. I'm, oh, I'm militant about it. because That's I good.
1: Because, t- dude,
0: it, like fucks with my mind it makes it difficult for me to think about any one thing deeply yeah and like dude for for my job like I, I write and like do film and and do these podcasts like the only value that I have to anyone is coming is delivering a, a cohesive thought
1: yeah and if I can't do that anymore it makes me feel like my mind is scrambled eggs and there's no way you could you know I mean for me that's that's exactly how it makes me feel, scrambled egg, because I can't remember anything because you're doing phone calls, texts, direct messages, this, that, Facebook, Insta, and it gets you so scattered. You can't remember to call people back or what. You know, I get people calling me all the time. They're all, dude, you're supposed to call me at three. I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, my God. And I feel terrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? But how do you keep it all straight? Yeah.
0: There's a a good book called... Um, gosh I think it's called like the fine art of living well or uh, I'm I I'm think of it but it's all about this this philosophy where you're supposed to look at every item it's all about cleaning up um, cleaning up your life, decluttering your life and um, it, it, the woman says you look at an item in your life and you ask yourself the question does this bring me joy And if it brings you joy, you keep it. If it doesn't bring you joy, you you get rid of it. So That's like that awesome. goes the same w- way with like clothes. Like I got rid of a bunch of my clothes this year because I just looked at this shirt and I'm like, does this bring me joy or am I just, <laughs> I mean, because I've had this like ratty t-shirt since I was 16 and like someone else it could potentially bring a lot of joy to. And like, I'm lucky enough that I get free stuff from, from people and companies and like, it's really easy for that to, to clutter. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I think like Huh could this bring more joy To someone else And a lot of times Like dude If I can hook someone up With, with something that they need Like that, that brings me joy Like yeah. oh you, Way more get, joy Way more Oh you need this For sure Here you go um, I did that And you know Another little life hack While we're on the life hack train Yeah I do Alright so I I fold my shirts Into this, this square So there's There's this way That you can fold your shirt uh, Just look it up on YouTube Like how to fold your shirt In two seconds I'll show you after it's like it looks like a magic trick But you fold your shirt in in just this Crazy way in two seconds And then you stack them vertically In your in your drawer So rather than horizontally where You can never find the shirt that you want Where you're like oh where's that that green shirt That I want (laughs) they're all vertical Like just uh Like uh they almost look like books In a bookshelf yeah and then you can see Exactly what shirt you want And you can get it and you can Fucking find the shit that you want, dude. I, I swear, like, I, I want to start a timer sometimes where I'm like, okay, timer's on when I'm looking for something. Like, how much time in my life do I spend <laughs> searching for items? Yeah, I want to minimize that amount of time as much as possible. Uh, I've
1: gotten militant about putting my keys in the same place, and my I, I have my wallet, keys in my hat every night, same place, because... I can't stand it dude looking for stuff. I cannot stand it. Yeah. And I have all my chargers are all in the same I have like 50 chargers, you know what I mean, for yeah. Gopro's and this and that and you know and every camera body has a different charger now and your iPhone charger and there's uh, so many so I just put them all on this little table next to my computer desk and they all sit there. Yep. And then they're all there every time. Now I don't have to look for them cuz I used to have to search through drawers and look for external hard drives they're all just sitting right there and so it's like it's a big
0: deal for your line of work too man it's a big
1: deal for my i just can't stand looking for stuff yeah so well and with you
0: but especially as a photographer like you have a lot of stuff that you got to bring on a trip yeah like if you're packing for a trip it's not just like oh okay like surfboard board shorts i'm good you're like okay memory cards hard drives
1: flashes lens cleaners uh housing, swim fins on and on and on to the point where like, I've had like Volcom took me on a trip one time and they're like, you can bring your boards. And I'm like, Dude, I'm no, I can't. Right. <laughs> if someone can carry a board for me, that'd be sick. But like I have five duffel bags full of stuff. Yeah. You know
0: what I mean? Do you have any, uh, advice for like younger photographers who are starting to travel surfing? Like any items that you bring that you're like, Oh my God,
1: this, this saves me make sure that you don't forget anything (laughs) (laughs) that's great advice you you know what I mean but uh also don't give your photos away because there's too many young photographers giving photos away these days or they'll trade them for a box of clothes or whatever and it's like that's what's driven the value of our photos down is yeah you know like back when I started shooting photos, there was probably around sixty photographers worldwide that were actually getting stuff published and and were getting used regularly. Now there's thousands. You know, any any kid can buy a water housing or a GoPro and go out and shoot, and they're just handing their stuff away for free, basically, or selling the photos for a hundred bucks, and that's completely driven the value of a photo down. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's definitely, uh, it is a changing industry where, yeah, the the people want photos now, they want a lot of photos now, but I think that that people are kind of yearning still for that quality, like in a time when when everything is just watered down by quantity, it's the same reason why people listen to podcasts. I think that it's because like we psychologically can't deal with the amount of information that is hitting us at any one point in the day. Yeah. Like for, like for example, like if you're on Tinder and you're looking for a date, you have more options to meet men or women than your parents had in their entire lives. You get that amount of <laughs> options in, in pe- one day. In one day. Yeah. Ding ding. No, no, no. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, no, no. You know. And there's a, a benefit to like well, you're you're fishing in a bigger pond. When well, you know, you used to go meet someone at a bar, like now you yeah. can meet someone on the internet, but at the same time, I think psychologically it messes with people just having that
1: amount of content coming in. So where do you think this technology, all all this technology came on us so fast? Because it seems like they, in my opinion, this is conspiracy theory, have driven us to distraction. And we are so distracted by all this stuff. We're not looking at what's really, really going on that's important in the world. And all you're concerned about is how many likes and shares you're getting. And that means nearly nothing in the in the big um, picture, I think. I'm wondering where this technology came from to get us on all these different apps and all this different stuff that we think is so important.
0: Yeah, I think that social media apps interact really well with what our bodies think that they need. So uh, we like colorful photos. We like feeling love from people. So Instagram is a perfect platform. That's why Instagram is more addicting than Twitter. Because we post a photo and we post that photo to engender a reaction from people and get that dopamine hit. So engineers know that. They know that when, when you scroll down on your phone to get the new update of likes, um, they're going to wait a little bit. There's a... There's a um, they got that uh, from the gambling industry. Like, you know, with a slot, slot machine, you know, how there's this moment of, like, before the numbers drop? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's to raise your cortisol levels for a moment before you get that dopamine hit. So I think that that engineers knew what they are doing to get us addicted to these apps. We loved it. And it's not good for us because it doesn't... Um, It doesn't incentivize us to think deeply about any one thing, like campaign finance reform or environmental issues, which um, we know intellectually are more important for us to be spending our time on. And I know that if we had even a percentage of the people on Instagram engaged in a local issue in their neighborhood, all these issues would be cleaned up very, very quickly. Like, community engagement is massive. But... Um, I think that it's very difficult to get people engaged in um, issues that matter, uh, that aren't happening in their backyard, you know, something like, like we all know, okay, like climate change is a big issue. I was just listening to Elon Musk on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was saying like, this is messing with the amount of carbon that we're letting into the atmosphere is the most dangerous experiment that humans are, have ever
1: been involved in yeah
0: yeah. it's very stupid we should not be doing this um so we all know that and i like hear elon i'm like okay i got that but i'm like ah that still feels far away it still feels like out there whereas like this instagram like that i got or this person who just like heckled me you know on on instagram like that feels right now like that's because that's Um, engaging my emotions. It's engaging my dopamine and my cortisol. So that's why I think that storytelling is so important because if if you can tell a good story, you can engage people's dopamine and and cortisol in a way that engages them. Similarly, like if I tell you that a coal power plant is going to be built in your backyard, that engages you. You're like, what? Like, that's gonna. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my family. That's my daughter. Like I'm showing up at this rally, but it takes a lot to get people away from Netflix to show up at the Tuesday night meeting for something that's that, in New York. That's in New York. Exactly. And, and I think that it all comes down to like, it's, it's the way our bodies are set up. Like we like colorful things. We like Feeling we like things that are now Like you ever heard of Dunbar's number It's like you. it's impossible for you To hold more than 150 people In your mind like Closely like it's impossible it's To have more than 150 close relationships In your life Wow. Because that's the way that we were set up for 10,000 years With tribes so beyond That like it's It's really hard to have That kind of empathy for people way Out there Um and one thing that I like about podcasting is that I get to have a bunch of different types of people on and hear their stories and and hopefully it builds a little bit of empathy,
1: yeah, heck, yeah, I mean it's so true, and uh you know, I think that's why they don't they don't let us show on t v here that the issues that there's in India, you know, and the people starving and and begging on the street they don't show any of that here on our t v yeah because they want the money to stay here and they don't want people to be worried about what's really going on worldwide.
0: You certainly need to stay in your lane on corporate news. I've yeah. had uh, a woman named Abby Martin who's an investigative journalist on my podcast who's yeah. a fucking badass and she talks about it. She talks about how like, you know, if you're on one of these mainstream... Um, CNN. CNN. Or- yeah, well, you can you can talk about the issues but you need to talk about it through the frame of the U.S. being the good guys. Oh yeah, yeah. And you can't talk about it being an imperialistic empire. You can't, <laughs> and and the, the history is written by the victors. Yeah, and that's why, like, you you ever see that photo? It was a really iconic photo um, in the Vietnam War of the little girl walking down the street, and she's on fire with napalm. She's like screaming, and it's it was this is a black and white photo that shifted the tone of the Vietnam War. With that one photo. Wow. Granted, it was a time when we weren't seeing all of these photos coming out. We weren't kind of inundated with media in the way that we are now. Yeah. But I think that it shows the power of a single photo. There's a, a museum in um, Washington, D.C. called the Museum, And it's all about the history of news um, globally. And there is that photo of this little girl walking down the street covered in napalm That's screaming. Oh, so sad and gnarly. Yeah. Really God. But it sh- it shows the power of it, right? It shows the power of of images. Like what you are doing when you're taking a photo is you are, you're you're taking someone somewhere, you know, yeah. and you can do that with various various forms of media, whether it's telling a story or writing or taking a photo. But I think that images are especially powerful because, as humans, we're just set up to to consume that really easily.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird. Um different world of shooting that kind of photo though um you know when it comes to kids it's like you know I mean my favorite thing in the world is kids and dogs I love kids and dogs you know I mean and and to even think about a photo of a girl on fire and not running over there and trying to put her out you know I mean is uh, yeah. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And um maybe the photographer did right after he shot the photo, hopefully. Yeah. You know, went over there and tried, you know, whether she's Viet Cong or not, right. whether she's you know, that war was just such a crock. Yeah. I mean not that all wars are a crock in my mind. You know, I mean
0: Yeah. Well I think that one thing that you probably get uh from your life of traveling around the world and seeing so many different places are that most people are cool. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they're Americans. Doesn't matter if they're brown, black, white, purple. Like, yeah, as surfers, we get taken into people's homes all over the world, and we and we see the good in people. Yeah, um, in a way that's really cool and really special. Like, I feel a, a great connection to surfers around the world. Um, and that's
1: that's a fun life to live. I think it's a worthy life to it's priceless to, uh, to live. It's priceless for sure. I mean, I remember my favorite quote ever. From a surf photographer that I heard, because I, I I kind of like I'll hear certain things, not very many, but certain things, and and I hold on to them. And uh, it was Scott Eichner, and he said, you know, we don't we don't get rich doing this job, but we live a rich lifestyle, and that's the the biggest truth ever, because you don't get rich, you know. Very few. There is a few, surf photographers, maybe Clark Little, that who've gotten really rich, but the most of us, uh, you know we're not getting rich. Yeah. But you do live a really rich lifestyle because we get to go to Tahiti and Fiji and experience the locals and learn to speak their languages and get these people that take good care of you and cook you meals. I remember the, my first trip ever to Fiji, we were 10 minutes out of the airport in our rent a car and we got a flat tire. And we're like, oh, my God. We all jumped out of the car. We're like, are you kidding me? It was like 100 degrees. We're on blacktop. We're just like, no, this is crazy. You know, obviously, they got beat down, a cars over there. And this Fijian family pulls over, and they're all singing, and they're huge, huge Fijians. I mean, there was probably six of them. I think there was three ladies and three men. And they got out of the car, and they pushed us out of the way, and they fixed the tire for us. And the women sat there and sang Fijian songs and, and, you know, were, like, braiding my wife's hair while they were singing. And it was, like, the most phenomenal experience. I'll never forget it, you know. Nobody does that here in the U.S. I've never seen anyone do it here. But there, it was like they didn't even think about driving by and not stopping and helping us. It was just, like, the raddest experience to see, you know. And that's the kind of stuff you get to experience when you actually leave and go do stuff and go experience stuff with your life.
0: Dave Nelson, thank you so much for taking the time, brother. Yeah. Really appreciate it. That uh, was awesome. People thank can you. follow you at Nelly's Magic Moments on Instagram. Get in yes. touch with you. Yep. Until thank next you.
1: time. Thank you for having me. That's our show.
0: This is a song called Saturated by the Getaway Dogs. They're a local Santa Cruz band, and I dig their tunes. You can listen to more of their music in the show notes below or on my website, kyle.surf slash podcast. If you're a musician and you want your music played at the end of the show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. Also, I love getting these voice memos from you. So you can record one on your phone right now using the voice memos app and simply email it to info at kyle.surf. Let everyone know who you are, where you're listening from, something you're pumped about. Don't overthink it and press send. Finally, thank you so much to everyone who donates to this podcast on Patreon. Seriously, you guys, it is people like you who keep this show ad free and allow me to bring these episodes to you every single week. So while you are listening to this song, if you feel inspired to donate, you can click the link in the show notes where I wrote buy me a cup of coffee on Patreon. And you can donate even just a few bucks a month really does help. You can also head over to my website, Kyle.surf, to make a donation. If you can't. Don't worry about it. Just keep listening to the show. Share it with a friend. Give it a rating on iTunes. All that stuff really does help. Um, Get in touch with me anytime on Instagram. And with that, I hope that you enjoy this song called Saturated by the Getaway Dogs.